Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. We're broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. I'm Mike Salmon, in for Duffy Dixon once again this week, and thank you for joining us. And let me introduce you to our two exceptional leaders with Soar Vision Group. Ben Sawyer is the Chief Executive Officer. He has over 30 years of executive leadership experience. Ben has significantly guided strategy deployment experience and he's worked with many clients to achieve dramatic, sustainable operational performance and greatly improve outcomes. Jennifer Strahan is the Chief Operating Officer with SOAR Vision Group. Jennifer has partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses across the U.S., helping them transform their strategic and administrative operations. Our special guest today is uh, coming back once again this week. It's John McDaniel. He's the Senior VP of Innovation and Technology for the HCI Group. John has more than 35 years of experience as a healthcare CIO, consulting services executive, and as an executive with large healthcare solution companies. And by the way, you can read John's full bio. It's very impressive on the Business Radio X website. It's listed just underneath this podcast. John, welcome back to Leader Dialogue. Thank you. It's nice to be back. So this is the deep dive episode of last week's show so i'll let uh, ben and jennifer take it from here all right thank you mike appreciate the introduction so the listeners if they had a chance to listen to last week's show will recall that we ended it talking about how do you innovate and win essentially in the age of consumerism and and how do you leverage performance excellence to do that and we talked about three particular things we talked about administrative cost concerns in the United States that were at minimum 30%. And so in medical tourism and globalism, that makes it tough. We talked about the need to have innovation centers, that if we don't essentially have uh, that kind of a opportunity with an organization, it can easily be, be overcome by budget constraints and other operational urgencies. And then we said we we also needed to talk about measures for success. How do you know that you're winning? If you're doing a pilot, how do you know to continue to invest, what to change, that sort of thing? So let's start with the end in view, and and maybe you can lead us off, Jennifer, in terms of, so data. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was interesting, John, when you first started talking and introducing yourself was you talked about consumer-driven and data-driven. And and then we spent a lot of time talking about electronic medical records, and it has me thinking about with all the technology we have today, even in in any business, there's a lot of data out there. And so we almost tend to operate off of two extremes, either having too much data or not enough data. And I would say historically, it's always been not enough data. And today we almost face a new challenge where we have a ton of data, but is it good data? Is it meaningful data? Is it accurate data? Is it actually giving us something that we should be measuring to come back and realize, are we doing what we need to be doing? And are we successful at doing it? Right, so, and it's the proverbial um, needle in a haystack. It's in there somewhere, I just can't find it sort of thing. So, so John, as we uh, talk about innovation, uh, IT innovation in this space, and we talk about measuring success, what are the considerations that our listeners need to have in mind? I, I think as you look at the whole innovation concept is really having a process 
in place that would enable you to engage a number of the uh, of the of what I'll call the consumers, whether it's the patient, the employees, or whomever might be utilizing whatever new technology is to capture their ideas, to have them part of the process. As I mentioned earlier in the show last week, how we build a solution at one of the places where I was a CIA, where we engaged, you know, not only the provider organization but the the consumers, the actual consumers of the product, and we delivered a solution for less than $25,000 in a period of six months, which would have taken, quite frankly, some organizations 20 years to build, and that's not an exaggeration. So I really think it's focusing on building out the process and making innovation a process. Gotcha. So um, we often talk about metrics that matter. So in this case, in human-centered design, which is kind of what you're talking about, it's who are the users, who are the consumers, and what's going to matter to them because what you're measuring should be directly related to their satisfaction. Of course, there are the other business variables, which is you know cost and uh, market growth and increase and so forth, but the core metrics that matter really are related to the consumers you're serving. Is that right? That's correct, and I think those have to be identified up front as suggestions are made from each of those various constituents of, 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 of the system. Uh, those need to be vetted, and as part of that vetting process, the question has to be to determined is, if I'm developing this to improve patient throughput, this is how it's going to work, and this is what we're going to measure. And I think the important thing is not only to have that information identified, but to make that part of your overall project management process so that as I'm going through, and working with my partners to build these solutions out, I'm able to come back and say, okay, we hit this threshold, it's all still a go, we're hitting those metrics, we hit the next threshold, wait a minute, oops, something's not right, it's not what we anticipate, it's not meeting their expectations or requirements, is it a bad idea? Maybe not, let's kind of go back and rethink it. Right. So it's really, that's the, the focus, but the metrics piece of it is essential. So I think that is actually a pivotal point when you talk about innovation and that's recognizing when something needs to be tweaked right. versus maybe um, you redone. stop doing it mm -hmm. or even redone right so that's where when you start talking about change in an organization another important thing that you alluded to that I just want to call out is that innovation doesn't have to always be technology it doesn't always have to cost five million dollars and take two years to develop it there are ways that you can innovate that are very relevant to just doing things differently in a process and that often entails people thinking they try it and very seldom does everything work out perfectly without a kink the first time around and so it leads people to say okay well that didn't work we're done when in reality it should be what didn't work about it how do we tweak it and make it better because we know what we were first doing didn't work so how do we adjust, right? How do we do continuous improvement as opposed to just going back to what we know didn't work? But again, we talked about this last week, it's comfortable, right? It's what we're familiar with. Right, so let's take the complexity out of this because I think some people when they talk about innovation, you know, NASA comes to mind and you're trying to go into a space program and it's like, oh, this is out of our league. We're not really talking about that. What we're really talking about is something as simple as we know what our customer wants and we're asking ourselves the question, under what circumstances could we meet that need? And then just innovating on that. And and actually, Jennifer, being a master black belt and Lean Six Sigma, there is an incorporation of design mm -hmm. within that. So organizations that already use that 
actually have some skill set there. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's actually funny you bring that up. A lot of times when you talk to organizations about Lean and Six Sigma, and it's how do we do things better, right? How do you deliver your product or service better with uh, providing the most value to your customer? A lot of times it's designed around improving an existing process, but there are actual methodologies that are incorporated into Lean and Lean Six Sigma that are developed and intended for design. And it allows you to come back and say, who are the people that we're actually addressing this for? What is it that they want? And you have to think a little bit, I call it the Dr. Seuss world. So you have to think about what are those things if you didn't have barriers, right? I mean, Dr. Seuss wouldn't be Dr. Seuss if he played inside of the world today, right? right? So if you think about those perspectives of what is it that you really want, you then go back and you work backwards to translate that into engineering requirements or process design requirements. And a lot of times we get so, we, we go the wrong way. We start where we are and we just try to say what we can change, but we're not really thinking about where we could be. But if we think about where we could be and work backwards, you'd be so much more amazed by what you can come up with and the methodologies for design. Right. So start simple, understand your audience, understand your consumer. But dream big. Dream big, understand them, and begin to ask the question, under what circumstances could we and how do we deliver value? Let's make that practical, John. So you've done a lot of these things. This is really kind of a big part of what HCI Group does, right? So talk to us, give us some practical examples of innovations. A, a couple of examples come to mind, and, and the only thing I will add to, to what Jennifer just commented is don't have blinders. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the world is an oyster. Yeah. In this case, and, and you know, I'm not saying that means every idea is a good idea, but don't have blinders. Don't say no because it's outside your comfort zone because those so are the good. best ideas. Often. So is that actually one of the reasons why you've emphasized the innovation centers? Because the natural instinct in regular operations is what I call black hat, which is you criticize first and innovate second. Green hat is actually what happens in an innovation center, which is you're not criticizing anything. You're just looking at it, seeing if it has potential and so forth. So the environment itself obviously encourages that. But but continue. Absolutely. So, um, back so, the, so yeah, so the question was uh, I was asking some examples, practical examples, of what you guys have done because HCI has been innovating right. uh, on the edge of, of, of technology within healthcare. So, you know, we're talking about the ingredients, but mm -hmm. I think the listeners would like to know, Hey, here's some practical examples. Yeah, and I'll use a couple of examples. One, there's a there's an organization in Pennsylvania that is significant in size that we worked in creating their innovation center, uh, which included building an innovation charter, which is obviously, it's important for an organization to understand also the governance associated with that. So from start to finish, that organization following a process very closely aligned with what Jennifer talked around, around Lean and Six Sigma, they have developed to date 19 plus applications that are consumer facing mm -hmm. in that lab that have resulted in significant, I know this is not about dollars per se, but in significant savings, and more importantly, in enhanced revenue, and had a very profound impact on their patient satisfaction or customer satisfaction. Right, so by the way, we talked about measures. Look, every project is always gonna be evaluated based on its ability to drive efficiencies and or revenue or both, mm -hmm. right? And it also gives the organization resources to reinvest and continue to perpetuate the, so that 
totally understandable. I just think what we were starting off by talking about with measures is it's really about the metrics that matter to your consumer. That should be your primary dominant, if you will, mm -hmm. focus. Uh, but you're not doing good design if you're not also taking into account you know, the blocking and tackling of efficiency and financial drive. Is that right? Th that's a great point. And, and actually, those 19-plus applications I talked about were ideas that came from the consumers. So really address some of their issues and challenges associated with this organization. The benefit was, you know, the major benefit and the, and the one we were really trying to measure was patient satisfaction. Right. What we realized is significant reduction in dollars spent because we enhanced and improved the oper operational performance as well as finding new ways to make money. There's, a, there's another way that I think also, which is the second part of that, is – some organizations we have worked with are really focused on developing new solutions for the industry with partners that then take and sell that product or solution mm -hmm. to the industry. Right. So you organize appropriately the, the innovation center appropriately to deliver and meet whatever your expectations are. Which can are. help offset costs because they get the commercial uptick exactly. on it. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. So Jennifer, the Baldridge is not just healthcare. It's it's essentially all business mm -hmm. verticals, so manufacturing, mm -hmm. education, small business. So let's make this really practical for the mm -hmm. small business owner. If they're thinking about innovation and they don't have big budgets, what are the kinds of things that they should be thinking about? Yeah, I actually think it's, it's we talked about this last time in terms of size of organization, and I think that this is really important because with small business, there's a bigger reward, right? And there's a bigger risk, so to speak. So I think a couple of things that really come down to making it practical. First and foremost, the concept behind an innovation center, right? A small business doesn't have to go out and develop a, a separate entity for their innovation center. But what they can do is set aside separate time for innovative thinking, right? How do you put time on your calendar to actually intentionally think outside the box? Do it with your team. Just brainstorm. Take your complaints that come from customers and employees and turn that into an opportunity to say, how do we, how do we not just make it better? It's not just about service recovery, which is important on its, in its own right, but how do we avoid this from ever happening? And not just because you put a policy in place, because that's not innovation, right? It's how do you prevent it because it's not possible with a new way, right? The square peg, round hole type concept. Um, that That's one component that I think of with innovation. The second piece with small business is that you have to always be thinking about what's next for your 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 customer, right? So I'll just give you an example. Um, just like I think, I think cell phone shopping is as bad as car shopping. Personally, I hate buying a new cell phone. It feels like you're in a dealership. They're just, they pounce on you like salespeople. But it's also annoying because you know you're going to pay $1,000 for a phone, and you're going to turn around in a week, and a new phone's going to come out that's better, and you're stuck with your phone either for as long as you, until you decide that it was worth $1,000 or until they allow you, actually, depending on your contractual setup. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So if there's a way or a process for innovation as a sidebar, that's one area. But if you think about the other side of that, there's a pace of change there that it's just there's a constant competitiveness amongst businesses 
to put out the next big thing, small businesses have to work harder, right? So the only way you can, you can get away with working smarter is finding innovative things that people aren't doing, finding ways that stay connected with customers but bring you high value. So it goes back to, it's a cost benefit, right? It goes back to the risk and value that you're looking at. What can we do that are delighters, which we've talked about in the past, that are delighters for our customers? They don't expect, but as soon as you provide this for them, they get really excited. So I uh, want to provide two practical examples. They're not necessarily small business examples, but two examples of the two points you're making. So the first is 3M, as a corporation, encourages all of their employees to have time or they actually ask them to take time to think outside of their work situation and give them time at work to innovate that is where post-it notes came from that was not a production of 3m that was somebody at 3m figuring it out what that also means is you can't designate you three are going to be the innovators everybody's an innovator yeah and so you have to be able to build a mechanism uh for being able to do that um, so that every person essentially has a, a chance to participate. The second example, as it relates to really thinking about something differently, is Uber or mm -hmm. Lyft, right? Mm -hmm. So if you came to a city manager 10 years ago and said, I have an approach for ride sharing that's different, they would say, we have taxis. Thank you very much. Don't let the door hit you on the rear end of the way out, right? But now that we have it, it was such an innovation it made a huge difference in our lives. That's the kind of things that you look for is it is a different way of doing sometimes the, the core thing, but just doing it differently. Mm -hmm. So John, talk to us about that. Like what are the elements of innovation as, as organizations or people are thinking about how to get into this space? What's the, what's the mindset? What are the kinds of things they should be looking at? Well, first of all, thought leadership, but to go back to your Uber example, which I love, and I've had a lot of interaction with Uber in the past, both as a consumer and as a, as a thought leader. But it's interesting. When you talk to Uber, they will tell you they're not in the transportation business. Right. They're in the technology business, and the hub of their success is their Uber app. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's significant. I think that's a really good point. I'll also give you a good example of a company that didn't innovate that at one time was the, by far the market uh, leader in telecom, which was Nokia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think about back in the 90s, yeah, Nokia they were. They was were the company. No innovation. And they fell short. And as, as the market changed, they missed that market opportunity significantly. So and I think Blackberry. That's, Blackberry. I still have my Blackberry, by the way. Well, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Blackberry, interestingly enough, is differentiating because they have the most secure network. Correct. It's very hard to break into a Blackberry mm -hmm. system. So they could potentially rebuild a lot of their market share as a result of that. But yeah, that's that's interesting. You have to constantly innovate because others are, are going to do it around you. And I, I think the innovation part of that is to, to, and I think Jennifer alluded to this, to really be aware of what your consumer expectations and demand, and those changing demands. Because at one time, Nokia absolutely satisfied the market need. What they didn't realize is how quickly the market was going to change with additional expectations and functions and features. And I think healthcare is very comparable mm -hmm. to that. Those organizations, and there's a number of organizations in healthcare now that have gotten very aggressive with, you know, kind of, um, you're talking about medical tourism, but kind of the virtual care models. There's some right. organizations that's doing total virtual care. Right. And they're very profitable and successful. So right. I think it's really, if you really look at the whole concept of innovation, it is really focusing on 
what the consumer requirements are and where is the industry going or where can we drive the industry? So right. here's an interesting point, and Mike, I actually really want to get your opinion on this, is right. that in healthcare, there's not as much of an awareness of what's going on in the industry like there is in every other world and kind of the market what we're talking about today. We have, don't really let customers or patients peek behind the curtain to see just just what it is that goes on in healthcare. How do you think that impacts the push for innovation when you don't have, do you think it makes it where it's more of an opportunity for, for hospitals and other organizations in healthcare to say, oh yeah, they're beating down the door for this change versus we have to proactively seek it. And I, I want to hear your perspective as a non-healthcare person. And kind of I think healthcare is almost a secret society. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of stuff going on behind the curtain, a lot of things that we just don't understand. And I think you, I compare that to not just not understanding, but not trusting using that word I don't for, that's a great point whether that's real or perceived or, or whatever on purpose I, 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 I have trouble trusting the healthcare industry because you get a lot of messages and you're not really sure what to believe mm-hmm. because everything is the next greatest and best that's a, that's a really point. great point and that actually created a market for second opinions because I don't trust the first one I want to hear from somebody else I, I would think <coughs> Well, it's something that Jennifer's brought up in other shows, too. It's the only industry that I'm aware of where I go get a procedure or something done. I don't even know what the cost is going to be going in. Right. And you've discussed that in previous shows. Right. There's definitely a very opaque glass. So to to answer the initial question you asked, we're working with a lot of organizations to establish new roles that would really focus on consumer and consumer-driven requirements. I'm really a proponent of creating a role for a chief innovation officer. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, some people have trouble with the concept CIO because they always think of the chief information officer. But to me, the chief innovation officer is challenged with looking outside what's going on within a particular organization. Their focus is on the consumer and on new technology trends and developments and how those might fit in my organization and bring those into an innovation lab for you know, either development or testing. Back to a point Jennifer made earlier, and, you know, this is not just about technology, but as you're developing new technology, you better make sure you focus on the the process refinement Mm -hmm. associated with that technology. Because I've seen a large number of very successful, what I consider successful technology development that failed miserably because they didn't look at the process side of it and how we had to change existing models. To support it. Exactly. Yeah. So a couple things on innovation. First of all, the chief information, or excuse me, chief innovation officer is really a facilitator of innovation. The idea isn't, it resides with them. And unless they, unless they come up with the idea, it's not worth thinking about. It's really a facilitated role. And the, the connection with the Baldridge on that is the thing that permeates the Baldridge is persistent curiosity. Uh, and, and it drives innovation in every single category. So it's innovation in governance. It's innovation in strategy. It's in innovation in workforce development. It's innovation in measurement and analysis and so forth. And, and it's, it understands that every organization functions within the shadow of the leader. So effective leadership provides an environment for people to act like owners, right, and be able to be engaged and innovate. So let's back up again kind of with the essential ingredients. So one essential ingredient is I understand the problem from the user standpoint, and I'm going to ask the question, under what circumstances could we? Like the, mo- the, the example that comes up to mind, remember the movie Apollo 13? 
when they were having to innovate and they're like grabbing all the stuff and throwing it on the table and like, this is all we have. And we got to be able to get these guys back to earth. Right. So the, I, you know, this was not an expensive, whatever this was. I'm urgent. I have a particular user group. These are their defined needs and this is all I have. So with that, under what circumstances can we bring these guys back to earth alive? Right. That's a little bit of a kind of a construct for this. So, Take it from there, you guys, John and Jennifer, as it relates to the ingredients. So you've got an organization that's pursuing persistent, you know, curiosity. They are empowering their employees. They have a facilitator for innovation. They're asking the question, under what circumstances could we make that practical? Like, what do they do next? I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier, and that's establishing a, an innovation process or a process yeah. around it so that those individuals— Exactly, and, and those individuals that identify new ideas have a forum to express those new ideas so that those ideas can be vetted by a governance or— And it can take shape. And it can take shape. But also, I think what I really liked about the Apollo 13 analogy is we still have constraints. Right. And those have to be looked at as part of the vetting process right. to say— Great idea, but not possible. Right. Or great idea, and here's how we do it within our constraints. Right. It's a great example. Right. So so giving and setting up the environment for innovation to happen and not to be squelched immediately because, well, we don't have money for that anyway, that type of an idea, is actually a, a critical ingredient. What are some other ones, Jennifer, that are, yeah, are critical I th- ingredients? I think the first thing that even happens before anything else is just having a willingness to even know that you have, a, there's an opportunity f- to make it better, right? So it has, egos kind of have to be checked because especially if you were involved in the process that's developed today, realizing that this isn't about the fact that that's a bad process, it's just things change, right? So how are you even willing to just open up your mind and think bigger and broader? And then once you've kind of gotten to that point where you're willing to make change, because change is hard, right? That you're willing to make change. So then it's, how do I empower people around me and my team? to actually start to drive and start thinking about change because innovation is really problem solving. That's what it is. It's recognizing there's a problem and it's finding a way when there's not a current way to make it better. And And you both pointed out a really important point. I was writing it down to take a note as you literally said it, John, and that's you have to know your limitations. It's okay to innovate with with constraints, but you just don't want it to be that it's all the constraints of today. So for example, when I go in, I work with partners in clients, I might go in and their, their chief executive or chief operations officer, whoever their sponsor is, says, you have $10,000 like for this, this small project of improvement. So you can go into a team and say, hey, here's the problem we're trying to solve. The only constraint we have is maybe there's no construction or significant construction and that we have $10,000, right? So that means we're not hiring brand new people, which is often a way that people say they're going to solve the problem is we're just going to add more people, we're going to re-educate, or we're going to form a committee. None of those actually drive necessarily innovation or at least not in a quick way. Uh, so those are the components that you start to think about. It's problem solving and then being willing to pilot. So again, think big, start small. So we also talked previously about the responsibilities of leadership to be able to create an environment for uh, innovation to actually occur. So for exam- example, the the sometimes leadership mindset of we didn't pay you to think, we just paid you to do, 
doesn't work, obviously, in this kind of an environment because that absolutely kills innovation. Instead, the opposite is how do you get your associates to act like owners, understand what's going on? And we've talked in previous sessions about the difference between authority and responsibility, authority being inherent in a position, but responsibility being a shared experiment, essentially, with the front line. And the notion is that the people on the front line then are respected as uh, contributors and co-thinkers and, and co-innovators, essentially, to best provide, you know, provide the best customer uh, experience. So talk to us a little bit, John, about what you've seen in terms of leadership characteristics and what's required um, and also how that ties to expectations and outcomes that are reasonable to set. And what I think you're really talking about is ideation. Yeah. Is how do I, where, do, where do ideas come from and how do I reward them? So what we've done with a lot of organizations is as suggestions come in from the general public or, or whatever the, the consumer of that tool or process is, we give them feedback. You say, great idea. We're going to move forward with it. Can you come and be a sponsor? People buy in when yeah. they are the sponsor. Yeah. Conversely, point. if it's it's still a good idea, but we're not ready, we communicate back. Great idea. Down the road, let's re-engage on yeah. this so that there's a loop or a closing of feedback so that I don't feel like well, I made 10 suggestions and nothing ever happened. Right. That's a problem. Which is very demoralizing. And just one final note on there that I think is really important to think about. what When you're, as a leader, when you're doing this, your whole role in this is creating a safe environment. That's what you're doing. You want people to feel safe to throw out a crazy idea. Because every everything that is innovative today started as a crazy idea, right? You're thinking about the Netflix of the world. You're thinking about the digital cameras. You're thinking about all those innovations that came around. Originally, someone probably told somebody an idea, and they, were, they said, that's not going to happen, or that's not a good idea, right? And then you show them. So point being, be the Netflix, not the blockbuster, right? Poor <laughs> blockbuster gets beat up a lot, but... So this is a great conversation, but we're going to have to bring it to a close. Let's just summarize for the listeners some of the things that we've talked about in terms of the crucible for innovation. So for the crucible for innovation, you have to remove constraints, provide an environment where innovation can happen, call it an innovation hub. There needs to be leadership facilitation of that, but essentially ownership of the whole organization to be able to innovate without constraints. They're just simply asking under what circumstances could we, based on a clear understanding of who they're trying to service, in this case, their consumer or customer, and they recognize their constraints. And they realize that within our constraints, this is what we can do. Any organization, small or large, if they follow some of those fundamental principles, they can get some real significant breakthroughs. Is that correct? That's correct. The only thing I would add to that is make sure you do, I agree with you on understanding the constraints, but understand the constraint may have a solution or mm -hmm. option out there. And I'll, I'll be specific point. where I talked about developing the electronic medical record, we had zero dollars. So I, I got really creative and said, I want a partnership. You help fund this. Right. I bought zero technology. Right. Mm -hmm. So look beyond, yeah, here's a constraint today, but is there a way to supplant Good point. That constraint? That's a great point. All right. Once again, another fascinating conversation. I echo what Duffy says after every show. Uh, John, once again this week, before uh, we say our goodbyes, for those that want to find out more about the HCI group, where can they get that information? Uh, you can look us up on www 
www.hci.com, and there's a wealth of information there, not only about the topics I've discussed, but other transformational-type issues that we address on a daily basis. Okay, great stuff. I want to thank everyone once again for joining us here on Leader Dialogue. It's brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. And I want to remind you as well that you can listen to a new live show here every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time by going to businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio, and then select Leader Dialogue. And you'll hear, uh, just click the Listen Live button every uh, Friday at 1 o'clock, and we'll be right there. But if you can't join us then, no worries, because you can listen anytime, 24-7. Yes. So I wanted to just give a shout out at our next week's show, October 12th, we have Al Faber, who's the president yes. and CEO of the Baldridge, coming to be on the show. So for our listeners, you're going to want to dial in. It's going to be a fascinating conversation with Al. Absolutely. But if you, if you, if you missed that show... We'll have it on the uh, on in the archives there. Just go to you know businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio once again, select on Leader Dialogue, and and once we have Al's show, we'll have that show with uh, the Baldridge Foundation, or you can listen to this show or any of the other shows as well. Also, go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. And podcast and every single show since day one is listed there right there so it's very convenient so for ben and jennifer jennifer with soar vision group and our producer trey i'm mike and we will see you next time right here on leader dialogue